0: You know that feeling when, uh, you haven't had any Q-tips because you ran out of Q-tips. And, like, Q-tips are not something you regularly think to get when you go to the grocery store or the bodega for you in the city. And they're kind of overpriced in the bodega, so even when you do think to get them, you don't get them. But one day, you're in Trader Joe's. You happen to be on the aisle. You see that, uh... Q-tips are 99 cents. And you go, oh my god. I've been meaning to get those for two months. And you go home. And you know you're not supposed to. But you're a naughty little Nelly. And you take that Q-tip. And you swab it into your ear. And you know that relief as you pull it out? That's what it's felt like. Watching all of these shows close. And announce their closing announcements. It's felt like. Two months of earwax out of my ear. And yeah, I know. People will be out of work. But it's okay, you guys. Those theaters are already booked with their next show. So more people will get to go to work. It makes me sad. I even have to include that caveat every time I talk about a show closing. But I know someone's going to comment, and I know someone's going to get mad about that. So I'm not giving you the opportunity to use your stupid logic on me. It's good when long-running shows close. Broadway was never initially designed to have things run, basically, forever. Ethel Merman would do a show for six months. She'd leave. And the show would close, and that would be that. There are outliers, like Fiddler on the Roof and Hello, Dolly. But mostly until we get to, like, the Jesus Christ superstars, the Hares, the Avitas, followed by the big, giant British imports, which, Superstar was not a British import. We got it first. Just FYI. Before that, shows... We're kind of, you know, theaters, rather, were designed to have a high turnover rate. And I think that's good. There has to be change. We have to find new shows that become giant cultural artifacts. And we can't find those shows unless something gets replaced. That's just what it is. All of these shows got more than 80% of any Broadway show gets, because about 80% of everything that comes to Broadway does not make its money back. These shows recently, well, maybe not you, Beetlejuice, but the rest of these shows recently uh, have definitely done that and more. They've become empires. They're all still touring. They're all still making money for their creative team, whether that's good or bad, Mr. Webber. And there are so many wants that I have out of this. Wouldn't it just be the greatest thing in the world if the National Theater Follies or any production of Follies that was properly funded? I just don't think the Americans will ever properly fund it, so I'm going to keep advocating for the National Theater Follies to come over. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that production reopened the theater that the Phantom has been hoarding for years? Wouldn't that just be... you ever notice that we didn't do anything, really, for the death of Sondheim? Like, no big celebrations. We ran a couple of articles. We had three minutes on the Tony Awards, and then that was it. The West End did. The West End had this giant, megalithic concert where everybody who's anyone sang a Sondheim song. We didn't do anything. Like, Nothing. A bunch of Broadway performers exalted themselves by standing on the red stairs and singing Sunday in the Park with George. Per <laughs> <a> typical Broadway. <laughs> oh, and that little teal motherfucker, I, I don't I forget his name, that little teal house elf posted a posted a posted basically a dick shot on his Instagram in honor of Sondheim dying, which I gave him shit for, but like given Sondheim dating much younger men, it might have been a fitting tribute that he might have actually enjoyed. So maybe that's incredibly wrong of me to have judged uh, Teuli the house-elf, for that. Jumping back to Broadway, listening to the sounds of their own voices to exalt Sondheim. <laughs> <clears throat> that's not a sick cough, by the way, that you're going to hear during this podcast. That's a Delta 8 from the gas station cough, just so you know. Anyway... One of my favorite instances of Broadway just being completely out of touch in a way that it almost seemed like it was written into like a mid 2000s sitcom was when the Ukraine war broke out and Broadway, all these Broadway performers for the Ukraine, went and sung Les Miserables in the park. (laughs) For who? Who are you doing this for? My dudes, dudettes. (laughs) Because <laughs> you're not doing it for the Ukraine. You're doing it so that you can hear yourself sing Les Miserables in the park and pat yourselves on the back. What did that do for the Ukraine? <laughs> do you think it raises awareness? Do you think there weren't people who knew that Wo- World War Three was starting That they didn't know that was happening before they saw the video of you guys singing. Do you hear the people sing in the park (laughs) like the William Tell messengers of a new day? (laughs) Oh, not William Tell, Paul Revere. One of those old fucks. Wow. Broadway just keeps dropping the ball, huh? It's almost like everybody in this industry is a narcissist. And I can't even say that I'm probably not a narcissist. I'm sitting in a dark room by myself talking to a mirror, looking at myself in a full-length mirror and talking. This is psychosis. We're all in a form of psychosis. We're all holding up our little black 2001 and Space Odyssey monoliths every day. And talking as if we have some kind of authority on the TikTok app. As if we have really something to say. As if we have something to give. When really, we're just looking for that small pat of validation that our stepfathers did not give us. Am I right or am I right, theater community? (laughs) Maybe it's not fair for me to go off on the Broadway community for commemorating Sondheim and commemorating a war happening by standing around and singing with themselves. They don't know any other way. It's like... It's like like asking a dog not to bark at the mailman and alert you. Thanks, boy. I know. I've already figured out that there's a mailman way before you have, but I can't fault you for feeling like you have to tell me. Maybe that is (laughs) how... We should view it when the Broadway community inevitably does this again. One day they're going to drop an atomic bomb on New York City, and the survivors, with all the mutations, the they're going to the Broadway community survivors are going to drag themselves onto the remnants of the red stairs and sing something like corny as hell. Like it'll be a bunch of white people singing, uh, "I know where I've been from hairspray <laughs> <laughs> to." Uh, notify the rest of the world that an atomic bomb went off a few days ago. Mark my words. Broadway will be the heralds of the apocalypse in that way. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) What the fuck am I talking about? (laughs) The gas station Delta 8 hits like very special. Uh... When your your life is just uh, in total disarray. (laughs) And maybe that's why I'm super hard and super critical of the Broadway community. Because so many people, most people, 95% of people fail before they get to Broadway. They fail or they give up. And giving up is not really failing. Sometimes you have to take a step back and go, oh, holy shit, I hate this. I don't like this. I'm not the person I was when I started this. That person doesn't exist anymore. And maybe they'll come back, but they're certainly not here right now. And I need to walk away. There is no shame in that. I did that with performing. Performing was ruining my life. I method-acted a production of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Ruined my life. Method-acting is for chumps, by the way. How do we get on this? I don't know. Anyway, like the Broadway community taught me, I want to commemorate the closing of Come From Away, Dear Evan Hansen, and the imminent closing of The Fen of the Opera, and uh, Beetlejuice. The best way I know how. Did I disappoint you? I let you down. Should I be feeling guilty? I let the judges because I saw the end before we began. Yes, I knew you were blinded, and I knew I had won. Touch my heart, touch my soul, change my life, all my goals, love blind. Now I knew. I was blinded by you Kiss your lips Because your head Share your dream Share your bed know you well, Know your smell My heart was blinded by you Goodbye, mama. Goodbye, my friend You have been the one You have been the one for me Goodbye, my lover Goodbye, my friend You have been the one You have been the one for me Wow, almost cried <sighs> feels good to bring awareness of these shows closing through song. I only regret that I could not stand on the TKS steps and have major Broadway news publications film me while I did it. Yep. Anyway, <laughs> the bubble popped. The bubble was always going to pop. Those of us who don't live in inside the bubble, like a lot of you do, knew the bubble was going to pop on Broadway before the pandemic happened. Right before the pandemic happened, my father, who, like, I didn't really know after a certain point, after, like, being, after, like, middle school, he basically was not a part of my life for a variety of reasons. Um, anyway, he died suddenly after me not having talked to him for years. I tried to reach out to him a few times. Just didn't work. He died and left me with uh, what some of you get as an allowance every semester. But what I saw as a a once-in-a-lifetime amount of money, and it really wasn't even that much money. It's just that much money to a poor person. So I uh, had a gig to go direct the Rocky Horror Show in Chicago. I was going to leave like late March 2020, so you can guess what happened there. And I decided that I was going to move to New York City and like I was going to make about the same amount of money I had inherited from Rocky Horror. So I was just like, I'm going to go crazy. Uh, So I stupidly went to the city and just went balls to the wall seeing Broadway shows because I had never been able to do that before. I am poor. I do not have – I mean, my parents – my parents are are, are not going to support me even going to they're not even going to take me to go see local theater after a certain point growing up. Definitely not now or anything like that. You know what I mean? Not that it should be their responsibility to anyway. Um, so like I just never I never saw a Broadway show unless I paid for it, unless I paid everything about it, unless I paid travel, travel everything i never saw a broadway show unless i scrimped and i saved and i fought and i planned or unless one of my friends gifted me with tickets i'm not from your world so i get to the city with a little bit of money and i start uh going to go see everything like right as i i, I land and that night, I'm seeing Town for the first time. And two days later, I'm seeing it again because I'm fucking gobsmacked by it. Anyway, and as I was trying to be one of you guys, because that's really what I wanted to be for a minute. I wanted to be one of you elites, one of you who can just drop $200 to go see a show because you hear an understudy that's interesting is on for the night. I want to be one of you fucks. At least I did for a period of time until I learned a little th- bit about you. Because you guys are so insulated in your bubble, your bubble of unlimited money from mama and papa, that you didn't understand that the cracks were already starting to show in Broadway's facade way before this pandemic. I was looking around like Harry Potter, looking at, like, the, which is, by the way, After, like, Carousel is the worst, Jack O'Brien's 2018 Carousel is the worst directed production I've ever seen on Broadway. But the worst thing I've ever seen on Broadway, and I'm sure some people will disagree with me, like, the worst writing, bar none, like, six hours with the Russian mafia having a gun to the back of your head telling you you have to keep watching, was the two-part Harry Potter play. That shit was ass-ass. And it hadn't been out very long, and it was not very full around the holiday season of 2019, and tickets to go see both parts of it per person, like the cheapest ones you could get, it was basically $300 to see this entire show. If a dude has even one kid, takes his wife and his kid to the show, he's already basically over $1,000 in with fees, not counting travel. Of course it was not fucking full. The Broadway elitist had not realized that the bubble was starting to pop, but I started realizing that the bubble was starting to pop, and then the pandemic popped it, so Broadway comes back from the pandemic later than everything else, and we can talk about that, (laughs) we can talk about that off uh, microphone, because I'm not anti-vaccine or anti-safety, I have my vaccine, I think safety should be taken seriously, but Broadway waited way too long, and definitely could have gotten procedures in place for a safe reopening well before it did, whatever, let me have a swig of water. So everything reopens and ticket prices are off the fucking chain expensive, more expensive than they were pre pandemic. And I remember telling everybody, like, it's over, it's done. And like, I honestly think the closing of the monoliths that are Fenma, the opera and arguably Dear Evan Hansen and Come From Away. And I strongly think Book of Mormon is next. No offense to my friends in Book of Mormon particularly my friends of color, but Jesus Christ, what a problematic show. From the bottomist to the topimist, as someone like Dr. Seuss would say. I remember when Matt Stone and Trey Parker were like, we're going to change some things, and they changed like one word, but they didn't change, you know, where the Africans are so silly and dumb that they fuck frogs to cure their AIDS. Yikes, boys and girls, and doors, and thois. <laughs> and zerds, and zeds. <laughs> but not you, Animal Ken. You get the fuck out of here. <laughs> oh my god, I don't know if I'm going to post this podcast today. Wow, what do you guys hope will close next? I strongly think Book of Mormon... And Funny Girl have theaters open before Tony cut off. I think Hades Town is good for a year. If Hades Town was, I don't want to say smart, but smart. Jordan Roth is killing it. How he's running into the woods. You could definitely run some of the characters of Hades Town that way. After uh, Lilius leaves, as uh, Hermes. They could bring all kinds of people into that role. Uh, off the top of my head, Patti LaBelle, John Cameron Mitchell, Coleman Domingo. um, The guy who did it off brought, well, Chris Sullivan would make zero dollars. You get where I'm going. That's not a Chris Sullivan dig. That's just how it is. There are lots of people you can put into Hermes' track. There's not really any complicated dancing. Most of the time, it is It is. Walk, stand, sing, walk, stand, sing. I also think it'd be fun to start stunt casting Hades because I have this vision. I don't know how much tickets he'd sell, but I have this vision of Nick Cave as Hades that lives in my head, rent-free, 24-7. You could cast Eddie Vedder as Hades because, I mean, they're already asking everyone else to sing in the tenor octave, that's not Patrick Page. Eddie Vetter comes to mind. There's a lot Sting. There's lots of people you could stick in the Hades role. And again, that is mostly w- no complicated dancing. It is walking and singing. I don't know, Hades Town, pull through. Hades Town, please pull through. I got lots of ideas, Jordan Roth. We can exchange numbers. Give me a ring, a ding, ding, baby. Speaking of which, I do not think Anne Hathaway. I think that was a bullshit blind. I even said in uh, my initial video, I thought it was a bullshit, not bullshit. I said, I'm trying to get a second source because I've only had one person tell me this. I strongly don't think Anne Hathaway is the lead in New York, New York. I don't know about Jeremy Jordan, uh, but I don't think it's Anne Hathaway because the understudy is a young person of color. I really think that it is not going to be Anne Hathaway. I think that was one of you children being naughty and sending in a fake, a fake little blindy whiny, which again, all respect, no shade to it. We all have to get our jollies some way. We all have to find our giggles where we can. And if your giggles are watching the bald man report the lie you made up, my giggles are sometimes going on Broadway World and watching them freak out at the lies I made up. Totally get it. Respect it but I don't think it's going to be in half the way. I think that was a little lie. That's kind of what I felt like too instantly when I, well, no, I like one of the first blinds I got was that Timothy. You know, that guy that, that we'll call him the boy from now on. I heard that when I got the blind item that uh, the boy might be playing Hamlet, I was just like, I don't know, I'm sure they asked the boy to play the Hamlet, and I'm sure they asked the Hathaway to play the Manelle, but I don't think either of those things were anything that could have gotten that far off any ground. If those things were ever true, it was probably a pie-in-the-sky thing. Like the Weislers trying to get Obama in Chicago, probably. Imagine Obama as Billy Flynn and Bill Clinton as Amos. Oh my God, how many Middle Eastern bodies would be accounted by those men on stage? Broadway would let those war criminals on stage. Broadway would let that pedophile on stage. The pedophile being Bill. Uh, Allegedly, allegedly. But I've, I've, I've read the Epstein book. One time I got in trouble at Disneyland in 2019 when I was on my inheritance run, and uh, I took two of my friends to Disneyland, and I paid for everything, but I wore mouse ears that I got custom embroidered (laughs) with Epstein Didn't Kill Himself on the back. And it turns out you can't just wear Epstein Didn't Kill Himself ears to Disneyland. They'll ask you to take them off promptly and quickly. So you learn something new about Disney every day. You'll learn that you can expose the elite and their pedophilic ways while riding the robot pirate ride, which fascism. Oh my God, where did I start? How did I end up here? That's what I ask myself every day when I wake up with a jolt, realize that I am in rural South Carolina and that nothing is really going the way that it should and that I have no money, no car, no friends, no lover, and no prospects. How did we get here? Jonathan how did we get here audience was it decisions 10 years ago to go work for the Disney company even though you knew you couldn't afford a $800 a rent a month a rent a month $800 a month apartment on Disney's 825 an hour part-time salary that possibly could have been the seeds of destruction or R was at the time that you went absolutely crazy method acting Hedwig and Hedwig and the angry inch and tried to start a theater company with, $20 in your bank account only to learn, oh, you can't really do that. Were those the seeds of destruction? Were the seeds of destruction when you tried to be part of the theater community proper, when you tried to be one of the elite, and when you spent all your money hanging out with them and their pricey, pricey, pricey entrance pay for friendship? Was that when the seeds of destruction were finally sowed that got you here, Mr. Jonathan Possibly. Possibly any number of those things. Possibly a bunch of other little things. But we're here now. Wow. I can't post this podcast. <laughs> oh, you know what I'm fucking sick of? I'm fucking sick of Andrew Lloyd Webber, Cinderella, and this shitbox show hasn't even opened yet. I have gotten like every, I have like four people who keep sending me things that all contradict about Android, Webber, Cinderella. I am as sick of it as I am of Leah Ma. Shell, it is driving me up the walls, like, and I know that it's Mr. Weber being a, well, I don't, I shouldn't say I know, what I should say is that there's always all these crazy press things that appear around an Angeloid Weber show opening or potentially opening on Broadway. That's all I'm going to say. It happens every time. Remember when all the names who were in the callbacks for Love Never Dies on Broadway leaked? Remember when it leaked, air quotes, that Andrew was going to buy out Finian's Rainbow so that they could run for another year so that he could then take that theater for Love Never Dies? And yeah, we're remember when there was a leak that Andrew was going to announce that Love Never Dies was finally going to come to Broadway after the Tony Awards in 2019? Uh, Remember the time that someone told me that Adele and Miley Cyrus were asked to be in Cinderella? Remember how Patti LuPone got fired from Sunset Boulevard? Remember when it was in the press that Meryl Streep was trying to fight Patti LuPone for Norma Desmond originally? Remember, you you can go on and on and on. I'll believe anything about Cinderella. I almost said when I see it, but even on a comp ticket, boys, I value my time too much, boys. I would rather be sitting at home smoking the gas station Delta 8 pin on foot Reddit. It's a better time for me. Than seeing something like Andrew Lloyd Webber. The second I read the, no- the plot synopsis and it said Cinderella, a goth. <laughs> who? When you think of who might be the best person to write a goth Cinderella musical in in the twenty twenties, is the first person that comes to your mind, uh, Andrew Lloyd, Mister Toad Webber. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck was anyone thinking in Bob there? Fundamentally, that's very funny and how flawed it is to me. I have to give Mr. Weber some kind of like, uh, Praise for having the audacity to think that he, a uh, probably 70 plus, he's gotta be in his 70s, if not 80s, an old motherfucker, an old motherfucker British man could write what a goth Cinderella would sound like. You have to admire that audacity a little bit, but my God, Jesus hanging on the cross crying out for his mother make the Cinderella stop Uh, make it a stop Uh, just open your damn show have it close in six to three months when your initial onslaught of B to D grade celebrities leave and let's be done with it because we all already know the ending Andrew all of us except you (laughs) I've seen a cast contract that says uh, Phantom goes into the Imperial, but it does make me wonder, with Beetlejuice closing, because that motherfucker wants that stupid fucking audience revolve so badly, I hear, or that could also be misinformation from the Mr. Webber. Who knows? Oh, man, you know what I recently remembered because it was on my uh, YouTube for you page a couple of years. I don't think it's called for you page, but the YouTube homepage uh, a few nights ago was the time that Christine Ebersole went on Alex Jones's show to talk about how she thought 9-11 was an an inside job. And there's nothing like hearing like, now, (laughs) Miss Ebersole. It's one of the brightest stars on Broadway. And she, as part of the Broadway community, is here to talk about today what happened to Tower 7. Why, yes, Alex, it's quite the big American crime. It's quite the thing that doesn't add up. I just mean, how could any rational person believe it? Well, Miss Everson, I have to say I agree with you. I have never seen a Broadway show in my life, but I love what you're saying to it's basically that for like 45 minutes i basically just gave you the full summary it's awesome And not awesome for the right reasons, not awesome because I'm defending Alex Jones. It's just awesome that it exists purely from like a nihilistic standpoint, purely as someone who just likes watching it unfold, watching the madness unfold. I mean, there's no more madness than Christine Ebersole on the Alex Jones Infowars uh, site, site show. Trying to convince you what happened to Tower 7. (laughs) That's not even saying my opinions on what might have happened to Tower 7. It's just funny that that interview exists and I don't even know why I'm talking about it except to alert you about it because I really 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 hope you watch it it could make your day a little bit brighter there's something that makes me happy watching two complete crazy people when their crazies synchronized together even if I adamantly did not believe them there's something so beautiful and pure and organic than when two Crazies' frequencies align just perfectly for a moment in time. Ooh, the electricity that those crazies can produce when their frequencies line up that way. It is absolutely reveling. So, none of this was a defense of Alex Jones. This was just a rant on how much I love the chaos of two crazy people getting along, talking about crazy things. Can you imagine Patricia Lupone and Christine Ebersole backstage at Warpaint arguing about what happened to Tower 7? Christine just tries to bring it up in conversation one day to try to red pill Lupone, and Lupone's like, What the fuck are you talking about? I can't do I sound like Paul Wynn. <laughs> Just close your eyes and imagine if you're ever having a bad night, Christine Ebersole trying to explain to Patty LuPone that George Bush's other brother owned a securities firm who did all this weird work on the Twin Towers before they fell. God, I would give anything to hear those conversations during a long tech cue <laughs> It's going to annoy the fuck out of me. In a few months, when like Weber and all these other Broadway professionals, as their shows tank and flop and close, as they start blaming like the coronavirus, as they start blaming like the United States and how they handled the arts opening back up, which there may be some criticism there because the reason the West End is able to operate so well is because they get a lot of government funding anyway. The reason all this is happening is nothing but ticket prices. You can argue to the moon and back whose fault that is is the producers for being greedy do the producers have to pay those prices i mean charge those prices because the unions make it so that theater is so expensive and there might be something there because i think about how the original matilda when it opened on the west end cost under a million dollars to produce but when they brought that exact same production to the united states to broadway it was like 14 or 15 million dollars how does that happen? And I know it's because all of the unions are advocating for their members, but my God, there's not going to be any, your members are going to be making no money if you guys continue to drive this ship into the reef. You're driving the ship into the reef in so many ways by setting ticket prices like this, by making it close to impossible for shows to film and distribute their performance to people who can't pay $250 for two hours of their time. You, the unions and the league and the producers, are the triangle that is destroying... That sounds like it could be Homophobic. I just picked Triangle because it was three sides. Okay, let's try it again. You guys are the three horsemen of the Broadway apocalypse. That's better. And you don't even realize the apocalypse for Broadway is already happening. Josh Groban and Sweeney's not selling too well, is it? Lots of empty seats, aren't there? I know we're a few months out, but it seems like a lot of people don't have $300 to see you raise me up, man, sing at the Sondheim. I don't know. Just an observation. The company starred Broadway royalty, but regular people weren't too cheesed on paying the prices you guys set to see Broadway royalty. Your product, no matter how wonderful it is and how artistically relevant it is and how important, air quotes, it is, your product only sells for what people will buy it for. And... Mr. and Mrs. Producers. I'm talking to users. They're not paying those prices anymore. And Americans have some form of money. Disney World is making like crazy profits. And they are making everything exorbitantly expensive. And everything is selling out. There is money that Americans want to spend to some degree to have a good time. They just don't see anymore the point of paying $200 a piece for two hours of their time, but they could do something like pay $140 and spend 12 hours in a theme park. Broadway is not looking like an option to too many people as they weigh everything that they could be spending exorbitant amount of money to vacation around the Hamilton, the Hamilton boom of the 2015, like to 2000, right before, like basically we were in what I call the Hamilton boom from the time Hamilton opened until the pandemic, really the Hamilton boom, you could argue started with book of Mormon. But Broadway was in a boom for that time period. It was doing great. That boom is over. You can see, actually, Hamilton, pretty, I mean, anything is fairly priced when those motherfuckers were charging $900 a ticket. Nobody's paying $900 a ticket anymore. People aren't even paying $400 a ticket anymore. Or 2 The Hamilton boom has gone bust where are we now where does this leave us Is Broadway dead Mm. I don't think so I think in the next five years we're going to go back to a 80s and 90s theater environment in the United States and the city where regional theaters and off-Broadway become the premier theater destinations in the United States. I think immersive theater is going to boom. I think site-specific theater is going to boom. I think that there will be empty Broadway theaters. I think that when there is a Broadway show, particularly musicals and revivals, they will be small musicals, and revivals that are recontextualized to run them as smallly and artistically, but still smallly, as possible. They will John Doyle it. They'll Sam Gold it. They'll Ivo it. They'll Daniel Fish it. The Susan Strowman's, the Jerry Mitchells, the Hack O'Brien. I know what I said. I think we're about done there. I think that era is over. I think the era of the mega musical with the mega ticket price is done because the public is telling you we're not doing that anymore. We have no interest in paying that price for that product. It's almost insulting in some ways, some of the slop that Broadway producers will put on stage with the price they attach to it. Maybe something like pretty woman, the musical could have been fun and camp. Same with Diana. Same with like head over. Well, I loved head over heels, but head over heels was a 1980s off Broadway hit musical. If it had been written in that time period, if off Broadway had not been killed by the Broadway megalith, in the 90s and 2000s. I think shows like, like some of the kitschier movie to musical adaptations. Like Pretty Women. Would go off Broadway at cheaper ticket prices. And sell much better. I think a lot of shows would have taken that route. If commercial Broadway had not decimated. Commercial off Broadway. The unions and Broadway proper Decimated. Commercial Off-Broadway. That's why Commercial Off-Broadway was a huge deal up until, like, the Disney takeover of Times Square in the the mid-90s. Because the unions and Broadway proper stopped it. The unions made it way too expensive to produce shows. And that was that. All the focus went to Broadway and Off-Broadway, aside from, like, the public... The public does not count the public is you know, there are these giant regional houses in New York City that I'm not talking about. I'm talking about like the original Little Shop of Horrors that ran for years and years and years off Broadway and was a hit and a staple. I'm talking stuff like that. They stop that from existing. So all of a sudden you have these shows that should be going off Broadway. Like the time they tried to revive Little Shop of Horrors. All big on Broadway with a big horn section and a big old, a big old six story puppet. And no one gave up a fuck because audiences can intrinsically tell when a show is when a production is getting too big for a show's britches, when a ticket price is too much to justify what the show is. And lo and behold, we open Little Shop of Horrors off Broadway and one of the biggest commercial hits since Little Shop of Horrors ran off Broadway the first time and people cannot get enough of it some things need to be off-broadway at a certain price point i think about how american psycho fucked itself all the time and i guess i'm thinking about it again because Wait in the wings just did a video essay on this the day before I'm recording right now. American Psycho was supposed to go into second stage. They had deals with second stage. They had announced it was going to play the American premiere at second stage. And then they saw how much money Hamilton was making, they being the commercial producers, and pulled the rug out from second stage in order to bring the production straight to Broadway. And the show ate donkey dick in the box office and with the credits. You know what could have happened? They could have, I don't know, what's that other hit Duncan Sheik musical that started off-Broadway? Oh yeah, Spring Awakening. They could have tried to do what they did with Spring Awakening, which was the original plan. Open it off-Broadway, hone it in more, figure it out more, gain a cult following so that that cult following follows it on Broadway and hyped their friends to go see it on Broadway. Once it opens, word of mouth is already starting from the off-Broadway production, but no, 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 no. The producers, I mean, it seems like they thought off-Broadway was a little bit beneath them and that their show was a Broadway show, not an off-Broadway show. Are you crazy? An American Psycho took that tone into its mouth and suck, 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 suck sucked until it closed. <laughs> I might cut that, but I'm just being honest, that's what American Psycho did in the box office. I'm not talking about it creatively, but that is what it did in the box office. It took a donkey stick and it sucked and sucked and sucked until it show closed. That's how I would describe that show's box office. I know that's crass, but I'm just being honest. I'm just here to tell you the truth about what I feel. Anyway. Hubris. 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 Head Over Heels really would probably still be running the Go-Go's musical if it had opened off-Broadway with no real plans to come to Broadway. No, gotta come to Broadway or it's not a real musical. Fucking Escape from Margaritaville. I saw that show blazed and glazed, baby. And I had a great time, uncharacteristically, because I tried to imagine myself in an off-Broadway theater where this show belongs, laughing along with it instead of sitting in the theater and laughing at it felt similarly about Seth Rudetsky's Disaster the Musical. Imagine if he could have gotten all those Tony Award winners, Jen Simard, all of those people, into like a off-Broadway house of 200 seats or less. That show would have gone gangbusters. It would have gone bananas. You know, like it had during its previous off-Broadway runs. But no... It's got to come to Broadway or it's not legitimate and then these shows come to Broadway and they fall flat on their face and they lose everybody money and everybody feels sad and everybody get dep- gets depressed and everyone thinks their show is awful. Your show may not be awful. Your show just may not be a Broadway show and not everything needs to be. It's good when not everything is a Broadway show. We need theater that's not Broadway. So desperately. We need to teach kids that Broadway is not the only end-all, be-all goal of being a theater artist. We need to teach that desperately. But instead, producers keep trying to hammer that it's not real unless it comes to Broadway. Tuck Everlasting, anybody? Getting the band back together, anyone? I would even argue that if the London Spring Awakening ends up transferring, that it should go off-Broadway. It will run for years, whereas Spring Awakening has always been a financial gamble that doesn't pay off when you take it to Broadway. Why does it all have to go to Broadway? I really hope that more producers start doing what the recent off-Broadway revival of Little Shop of Horrors did because that is a way Broadway will be revitalized. And those tickets for Little Shop were crazy during the first cast but then, you know, they kind of leveled out there. You can see that show pretty reasonably for like 60 bucks, which unfortunately is reasonable for Broadway. Remember when Broadway lotteries used to be like 20 bucks and now Moulin Rouge is patting themselves on the back because they're offering $60 seats. It, it just goes back to what I'm talking about. Broadway is so incredibly out of touch. There aren't many like unless they're the trust fund babies. Who y'all trust, fun baby? Stop trying to get those lottery seats and stop trying to get those cheaper tickets. Y'all got money. Y'all got money. You got your mommy and daddy's money. Stop taking away the affordable tickets from the people who don't. You hear me? You hear me, motherfuckers? Because it drives me crazy. Buy a full-price ticket. You're the demographic who's supposed to. Stop taking away the fair-price tickets from the people who actually need them. You fucks. You've seen Moulin Rouge a hundred times. You fucks. You don't need to take a lottery seat from someone. You fucks. Anyway... $60 is not that affordable to the average New Yorker who's trying to make ends meet. You know, now that the average apartment in New York City is like $4,000. The bubble's bursting everywhere. And no one has noticed yet, or at least everyone is scared to talk about it. Maybe the reason I'm not scared to talk about it, or I I take almost like hee-hee in talking about it, is because Broadway has, 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 has... I say it every podcast, I say it almost every video, Broadway has covered up and covered up and covered up and covered up and covered up for bad behavior for decades and decades and decades, basically since its inception. I am happy the bubble is popping because they don't deserve to have a bubble in its current form. It's time to rebuild. It's time to change the definition of how people see theater in this country. To show people that theater is not just Broadway. To inspire people to dream, in some ways, bigger than Broadway. Because Broadway is a rigid box for a show. If your show's not on Broadway, you can let your imagination create anything you can dream of. As long as you can fund it. Stop looking at Broadway as your goal. Stop teaching kids in conservatories that Broadway is the goal. And start inspiring a new generation of theater artists to boldly make theater in storefronts again. And to do a production in the abandoned factory in their town. That's where we need to go. Hope you guys had a great day. Especially those who are trying to litigate against me. As always, you can send in theater blind items to JuicyTheaterTea at gmail.com. That's theater with an R-E because I am not an animal. Also, this entire little rinky-dink production is all donations based. There is a PayPal and a cash app attached to that email account. Even 5 or $10 really helps this production of this production. It helps me a lot. Jesus, it helps me. I'm trapped in the middle of fucking nowhere. I have no car. I have no money. I have no way to get out of this house. I'm trapped. (laughs) Your donations keep me alive. And I'm hoping that'll change soon, because as more and more people listen to this, we'll get sponsors. Hell, we might even get picked up by a little podcast network as long as I stop saying crazy libidinous things. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, hope you guys have a good week. Can't wait to talk about the closing announcements that are going to happen uh, before our next podcast because I know of a few.